Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and in the studio this week, we have the A-team back. Uh, we have with us Alison Rudd and Clive Petty. Oh, Rory K. Smith. Rory K. Smith is actually joining us uh, as well from uh, from the grounds of, uh, of some manor in Yorkshire. Uh, coming up on the show, we'll be talking about events at Selhurst Park. Uh, we will probably grudgingly give Alan Pardew some love, although tiny, tiny amounts. But first, let's go to the Emirates. And this is Giroud. Oh, it's another goal for Arsenal. It's going to be seven wins out of seven, and they are storming to second spot in the Premier League tonight. Clive, Arsenal and Liverpool. I made the point, you were querying uh, my notes here, uh, mm. and it says, why, why does it say Arsenal are different? Well, I will tell you why, in my opinion, and you can debate, dispute that if you saw something different. It looked to me like in the past that Arsenal generally were criticized for always playing a certain way and the pretty passing football and so on. And I kind of feel like this season, they're a much more multifaceted team for good and for bad. We, we saw them park the bus against Manchester City. Um, we've seen them bring back Coughlin, who I think really is a, a, a much more of a defensive midfield specialist. Uh, we saw them press high against um, against Liverpool, uh, against that back three from Rodgers in a way that you know maybe they might not have done in the past. That it looks as if Wenger is trying different Wenger. things for different situations. He's maybe he's not inflexible. Wenger has finally seemed to have discovered the word tactics. He's he was always like uh, criticised for just saying Arsenal will just go out there and play the Arsenal way and not take into account his opponents. Perhaps perhaps you're right. Perhaps he's finally becoming a bit more flexible, uh, and perhaps that's because of the uh, the armory he has at his disposal now. That 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 front six really are quite nippy, quite quick. They did work incredibly hard against Liverpool. Closing, closing the space down practically at Liverpool's penalty area. Well, you say that's the biggest change, or the most effective change, is the work rate. I, w- I would say. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it is. There were times. I can't. Remember, I think you made the point sometimes. I can't remember which match it was, but it was only ever seen like Wilshire was the one running around like a. I think you said like a mad person trying to win the ball back. But now everybody seems to be doing that amount of work. Everyone's closing people down as you say, practically uh, on the opposition's back four, going back to that thing about they don't seem to have to sort of make a tackle, it really is just harrowing their opponents into making a mistake, and, and so they win the ball back that way and they have such an effective fun set of players that, you know, they're uh, immediately on the offensive because they're that high up the yeah, they don't, they don't. What they don't do anymore is sit back and admire the pass they've just mm-hmm. made, which is, when, you, when you're teaching kids how to play football, you always say, you know, don't admire what you've just done it has to go immediately and, and Arsenal was sort of guilty of that very basic sin of just be- believing in themselves too much believing in their own philosophy believing they were a passing team and now they have all that they have they have great passers of the ball and they have great players who are good on the ball but they they they, they, they almost act as if they don't have that they act as if their front six act as if we don't really have much at our disposal other than the fact we're, we're, we're energetic and we've got a, a, a directive to, to harry the opponents and they don't line. attempt to walk the ball into the net anymore it's not like you know they have to they, they're not allowed to score a goal before they've completed 36 passes um, it's a tiny ba- bit Bearing's like that shot. still well it is a bit but Bearing's shot was from the edge of the penalty area and Ozil free kick Giroud from outside the box Sanchez from outside the box before they'd have been looking for yet another pass you know, a little one-two yet again to try and get closer they've just seen 
they're a lot more clinical now, I think, than they used to be. Okay, so I'm going to need to get Rory's take on this because you guys have described the virtues of the new arsenal as being sort of about work rate, uh, not sort of admiring yourself, all these blue-collar qualities, being more direct. You're sort of describing all these stereotypically, all these values which are stereotypically associated with English football. So now I need to get Rory in, the person who defends cheats and Latin Americans and stuff like that, to tell you if you are correct or if maybe there's something else going on at Arsenal. Rory? No, I think that was a, that was an, an absolutely perfect sort of di- dissection of why Arsenal was so good against Liverpool. I think you, you should probably have to throw in there a little bit that they were helped by quite how bad Liverpool are on the ball, not just in defence, but kind of in terms of looking the passes in midfield. So Alan and Lucas particularly don't show very well. Sterling kind of wandered around up front. Markovic and Coutinho actually thought did okay in terms of looking for the ball, but there wasn't a vast amount of outlet for Torre and Chan and Sacco, and, and that helped but, Arsenal immeasurably. But yeah, Alison and Clive are perfectly right. There is a, there has been a change in terms of how intensely Arsenal press and how well well organised their press is, which is crucial. Okay, but we've also seen games where they didn't press and it worked well. Yeah. This is my point. Like against City, they they didn't press, and that was the right thing to do. But I think that comes back to the, the personnel that Wenger's now got, got at his disposal. Because in Giroud, he has a, a, a front man who can hold the ball up. He, it, it sticks to him really well. He can provide a kind of outlet for, for longer balls, for crosses, what have you. But also, he's got players who can counter-attack. So they've got, obviously, Chazola and Ertzel, who are probably best most at home in, in, a, in a very kind of intricate, short-passing style. But then Sanchez fits in really nicely to a, a counter-attacking style as well as doing that. You've got Oxley Chamberlain when he plays, when he's injured, who has that kind of counter-attacking thrust. Ramsey, who can be quite direct and can feed off knockdowns from Giroud. They have lots of different ways of playing because they've got lots of different players who are good enough to play in lots of different ways. That's what I would say is the difference with Arsenal. But there has definitely been a switch from Wenger to a slightly more modern kind of understanding, I think, that you need to be... Pragmatic is kind of a dirty word, but you need to be adaptable to the situation, and that's been the big change. And I think the saddest thing for Arsenal this season is that it took until about January to realise it. Or you just had to have that little dig in there in the no, end. No, it's true. Or... It's true that yeah, yeah, with, with Arsenal, you have to. I mean, I, I, I mean, I do, I do quite a lot of Arsenal through um, some order to by Clive, and I just think it must be it must be a really frustrating club to support because they they always have a period of the season. They always have four, five, six months. Well, you look at them and think, yeah, they could be onto something here. And it's this, t- you know, last season it was the start of the season. They started really well. This time it's, it, they've ended the season really well, and they, they will go into next season. I think I don't think there's a title race. I, I think that you might have the illusion of a title race at some point if Chelsea drop a couple of points somewhere. But basically, there's no title race. But Arsenal will start next season thinking, do you know what? We've got all these players, and we, we will have added one or two more players in the summer. We could be onto something. But the fear of that has to be that. It's years and years and years since Arsenal put an entire season together. Well, my take on the pressing is that it looks great when we watch Match of the Day and do the analysis and people are like, look, they're hunting in packs and they're pressing. But pressing is something that it's just a tool. I mean, anybody can press and, and try to press well, and some teams line up to do that. But there's a counter-argument to pressing, which is when the other team break the press, then you're kind of screwed because you have your, all your guys up the pitch and you've got Mertesacker, you know, standing or uh, standing in space by himself with Raheem Sterling running at him when it works, obviously. Yeah, no, that line was so high, it well, did look a bit scary. This is, exactly. So we're there that heaping praise because they won 4-1 and they're multifaceted and they scored four goals, three of them from outside the box, two of them with Mignolet's help. To me, this is on Rodgers to some degree, because 
this insistence on playing the ball out of the back, and you touched upon it before when, when you mentioned Allen and Lucas, you know, it's great when I've got all these ball-playing defenders and people back there, but when I have Colatore and Lucas and, you know, even Sacco, Lovren, for all his ills, for me, is better on the ball. I mean, he's having a horrible season, but he's probably better on the ball if you're going to ask him to do that. It, it sort of felt like, okay, apart from Chan... And, and Allen, who's often looking the wrong way, who, who the heck's going to bring the ball up from the back? Maybe Aren't we better off in mixing this up a little bit with some balls into the channels or something, some balls over the top that Sterling or Coutinho can uh, can run into? I'm not quite sure why you're putting that on Arsenal. I mean, No, 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 no. I'm putting that on Liverpool. I'm putting well, that on Rodgers. Well, that's what I mean. But, that, but that's Liverpool's problem. Isn't it? I mean, they should realize, after a while, if you realise that Arsenal are practically playing on the edge of your penalty area and you can't find your man in the middle, that's exactly what you should do. You should try and bypass those guys that are right on top of you. Well, why and, didn't and he do it? Should we ask our foremost Rodgers experts? <laughs> Rudd and Smith... It's, this is this is going to sound a bit convoluted, but my initial problem with Rodgers was that his tactical inflexibility as a as a manager, even before he got to Liverpool. Although he's so strangely, he's now lauded as someone who is tactically flexible because he sat down late at night and pondered what to do and came up with three at the back in a eureka moment over tea and toast. But having hit upon something that worked for a, a few months, he's become tactically inflexible again. It was it was patently the wrong approach to take to the Emirates, given the players that were suspended and the sort of form that Arsenal was showing, and the way the that United had set out a template for Arsenal to follow, should they so wish. I think Rogers is very pleased with himself that he'd found a system that had um, turned se- the Rogers, seasons around. But he, 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 he and he and he was um, I don't know nervous, scared I don't know, unwilling to to make another change. So, so yes, Torre. And Sacco's an interesting one, by the way. Sacco, I was at, I think it was Swansea, where every time Sacco got the ball, all the um, all the Swansea fans went sort of whoa. Because Sacco looked looked really uncomfortable in possession, so there was this feeling that he was going to give the ball away. And I think it's the same thing happened at Palace in the FA Cup. And basically, Sacco doesn't give the ball away. He's he's incredibly cautious in his in his passing. He, he doesn't play ambitious passes, which is why he doesn't give the ball away. But there's this idea that because he looks really sort of ungainly and gangly and what have you, that he's terrible in possession. He isn't. I think he, he suffered the first 10 minutes, then got better. Chan did OK. Torre had a nightmare. Um, but the issue with Liverpool, when they play like that, isn't so much the defenders. There's an element of coaching because the defenders have been coached into wanting to play the ball short and to strawning the, the long ball, and that's bad. Because, as you say, they, you know, if you're under pressure, you need to relieve that pressure. That's, that's a basic precept of football. The issue is the midfield. The midfield don't show, and that puts the defenders into, pre- in, into problems. So there was a chance right in the first minute, I think, when Ramsey should have scored. Just they, they won the ball off Torre right on the edge of the box. But the reason Torre was dawdling wasn't because Colo Torre thought, oh, do you know what, I'm going I'm, I'm to dawdle on the edge of the box for a bit here. That sounds like fun. So there was no passing option whatsoever, and he was too frightened of the, of the kind of coach, the way he'd been coached. To go to go long, and I think that's the danger with Liverpool that they are playing themselves into into problems because they don't really have the players at any of those levels to play that way, and that that is that is ultimately on Rodgers. Are Liverpool now out of next season's Champions League? Anybody believe they they have a shot back in? If we have to give percentages, or only if Manchester City continue to completely implode. But other than that, no, I don't think so. Well, if I'm ruling Tottenham out, I'm going to leave, rule Liverpool out as well. Alisson. So. Um, it looks unlikely. It looks unlikely. Rory, I think if you if you 
get United beating City this weekend and Liverpool beat Newcastle, you will have the illusion of a race for fourth, but there will not be a race for fourth. City will finish fourth. All this negativity. Let's talk about Raheem Sterling, which is a nice segue, because um, I, I, I was away on the volcanic island of, of Tenerife, and I sort of followed from a distance all this drip, drip, drip about the, the, the Sterling stuff and, and his interview. And, and I was introduced to this wonderful character who I was unfamiliar with, A.D. Ward. Rory's uh, piece, I believe, on Thursday was, was part of my introduction. Okay, so for those who don't know, and I'm going to try to sum this up very quickly, Sterling makes around 30 grand a week. Uh, it's sort of the contract he signed when he sort of first broke into to the first team on a semi-permanent basis. And Rory, correct me if any of my facts are wrong here, by the way. Um, he's, he's a contract that expires in 2017. However, it's generally good practice to go and reward your best players, even when you've got two years and a bit left, when they're clearly underpaid. So they've been negotiating. Um, he's turned down different amounts, depending which paper you read. It's 100 grand a week or 150 grand a week, uh, somewhere in between. The interesting thing um, is that Sterling was previously represented by a man named Robert Siegel, and a company named Impact Sports. So Raheem Sterling was represented by this man named Robert Siegel, uh, this other man named A.D. Ward worked for Robert Siegel. At some point, the two have, have appeared to have split apart, and A.D. Ward is driving this negotiation. And I think it is relevant that they've split apart because Siegel's been around as an agent since the mid-'80s. He's very much, I think, part of the old boy established agent establishment. A.D. Ward is 34 years old. And if you go on the FIFA website, he's listed as uh, having obtained his license from where, Rory? Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone, indeed, yeah. Which, of course, raises all sorts of, uh, of eyebrows because he does business here. But A.D. Ward's got, gotten a lot of stick. Sterling's gotten some stick, not so much from, from Rogers. The narrative here, Rory, seems to be that Sterling is a poor lost boy and A.D. Ward is the greedy, evil agent. Is, is that about accurate? That's accurate in the sense that that's the narrative, yeah. Whether that's accurate in terms of who's driving the, ne the, ne the negotiation process, I don't know. I, it's very hard to tell. It's, Liverpool seem to be blading Eddie Ward, that's abundantly clear. They seem to be trying to dress this up as the agent wants more money. Now, if you speak to people on the other side of the fence, they would say that the person who's kind of driving the, well, I might go, actually, because either it's the money or the ambition or the status or whatever it is, People on the other side of the fence are kind of saying that's coming from Sterling. But the problem with that information is that that's what agents always say. They always say this is what the client wants. They never, no agent ever says, well, actually, I'm, uh, I'm driving this because I want a bit of cut of the pie. I think you're right that the split with impact, within impact, which is not yet, doesn't seem to be fully finished yet, but it, it's been bubbling under for quite a long time. That is relevant. AD seems to have taken Saido Berahino, another player involved in a protracted contractual dispute, and Raheem. Uh, and Impact have kept, Rob Siegel has kept uh, Alex Oxley-Chamberlain, who's the other kind of big-name young player they've got. And Jeff well, Selling. And Jeff Selling, I believe Jeff is still with Impact. And uh, Deli Ali, who's the, it is done from MK Dons to Spurs. But he, also, can I point out, he also represents your mate Sean Deitch as well, which I kind of... <laughs> Who does? What impact? Oh, impact. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I, I, I thought was kind of like, well, in my perfect world, if you're an agent, you cannot represent a manager and a player. It's a walking, talking conflict of interest, yeah. and they should change the regulations on this. Yeah. But hey, you know, Robert, if you're listening to this, I have no problem with you doing it. You're operating within the rules as they are. What I'm saying is the rules should be changed. Sorry, proceed, Roy. Yeah. So I, th I think what's what's 
difficult to tell is where the where the kind of genesis of the of the problem is. Is it that Sterling wants more money? Is it that AD Ward wants more money? Is it that Sterling feels that he can't? And I hate this phrase that the club does doesn't match his ambitions. Every club has ambitions to win everything. It's a nonsense phrase. Does Sterling feel he can't fulfil those ambitions at Liverpool, which is a more accurate way of putting it? Uh, possibly yes. But at the same time, he is 20. My, my big thing with Sterling is I don't see which club he goes to that's bigger than Liverpool and plays week in, week out at this point in time. My take on it, I think, is that he's being empowered by A.D. Ward and because there's, there's a bit of a disconnect. Brendan Rodgers goes public and says that uh, Sterling is the best young player in the world, but... But he treats Sterling like a child a lot of the time and doesn't, doesn't treat him as though, he's, uh, as though he is the best young player in the world and he moves him around the pitch and doesn't always play him and there's a sense that in the pecking order, come any given game of late, that Sterling isn't the first name down on the team sheet. So you've got a player who, who's been built up and then feels disrespected. The combination of that, his experience at Anfield and, and the fact he's got an agent who, who sees big things for him you know, and the stories are coming out. You're saying, uh, Roy, you're right. If he goes to a really big club, he's not going to, he's probably not going to start. But it, it's, in, you know, it will turn anyone's head to be linked with Real Madrid, for example, which he, he has done this week. Um, <laughs> well, sorry, can I just jump on that? But it will. I think we it will carry turn that story, like Zidane saying, like we were monitoring him. Come on, it's the oldest thing. It means thing nothing. I know it, it means, means nothing. nothing. You know, we, we we as journalists, we're trained, and I hope I'm not giving away industry secrets here, right? to try to get people to say stuff like that. And if you go to any football person at any club, right? if, if I were to go up to Pep Guardiola today and be like, um, ooh, Stones, right? The, the, the kid at Everton? Yeah, John Stones. Yes. If I go to him and be like, and say like, hey, Pep, are you familiar with John Stones? Do you think he has a good future in the game? And what's he going to say? He says like, no, John Stones is rubbish. He's a Neanderthal. I never want to see the name again. If he knows who John Stones is, and he probably does, maybe, because he's seen Everton on TV, maybe, he says, like, oh, yeah, yeah, nice player, developing, blah, 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 right? And then I go and I spin that into a story, right? So Dan went a little bit further. Disgraceful, girl. No, but but I'm saying is, we kind of need to grow up on this, right? I think it's obvious that if Sterling becomes available, if he's for sale, whether he's on a free or there's a price on him or whatever, then I think any big club would look at him because he's 20 and he's very promising. But yeah, but there's, there's but also the belief. There's yeah. a belief. That, that, I'm sure there's a belief. Saying, but it's not because Zidane comes out and says it, you know. I mean, no, but there is said, a belief. No one said Zidane, you know, was walking down the street and suddenly went, <laughs> <laughs> of course he was asked the question. He was asked the question and the, his answer was reported. I wonder if we get into the Castilla team ahead of Odegaard. I think that's more, a more relevant, which is the team that Zidane actually manages. I think Sterling would feel, I'm guessing, I don't know, but I think Sterling would feel if he started afresh with a big fee and a big salary at another club, his status would be completely different. Well, and Liverpool know him too well. They've known him since he was younger and erratic and there were doubts of whether he'd ever make it. He would feel like a grown-up entering the big time if he left Liverpool. I think that's part of Well, perhaps of it. that's the thing. The thing is about his status because there was a lot of people kept talking about, you know, um, in relation to, you know, 20-year-old kid turns down £100,000 a week, what does that make the working man for? It's not about... The working man is already alienated from blooming footballers' wages. That's... that's it's, Possibly, his status amongst his teammates, and as you says, as you said, if, if Brendan Rodgers has already brought him up to be the, the finest young player in Europe, well, the finest young player in Europe, where is, isn't getting thirty grand a week, you know? Right. That, of course, that, yeah. that, that's the point. So that, it's it's, it's that, lining up against right. the, it's it's the people he's lining up against. Uh, so if if you are built up as that that teenage sensation, but you know, I don't know. Um, 
Kerbalo too. <laughs> just for one example, is getting I don't know fifty or sixty grand a week. You're I think we want that because he came on a free. When he came on a free, yeah, exactly. You're going to feel a bit. You know, there's something not quite right here. So that I think that's the, kind well, of the point of this, well, isn't it? He deserves more. That is the crucial thing, you know, with, with all negotiations. And we always, as, as journalists, again, we kind of get, we fall into this trap of looking the wrong way. That Sterling, in, in his interview with the BBC, said, oh, it's not about how many cars I own or how many houses I've got. And, and that's absolutely right. The players don't negotiate for money because they want more money. They know that they've got enough money. They're not, you know, Raheem is not thinking, oh, do you know what, I really want that yacht. Um, I, I, I kind of need an extra hundred grand a week. It's, it's to do with status. All of it is to do with status. And that's what he's negotiating for. It's a way he's of keeping the score. Exactly. Yeah. He's asking Liverpool, how much do you... Yeah. How, what am I worth to you, not in terms of, of numbers, but in terms of in, in relation to my peers? And I think that's the crucial thing to understand. Liverpool have played this very badly. The only way... The only reason that Liverpool don't look like, like they've played it that badly is because Sterling's people have played it even worse, basically. <laughs> well, you, you, you made the point there. You mentioned that interview to the BBC. He was roundly criticised, or, or A.D. Ward was criticised for arranging it or whatever. People saying, oh, it was an un- unauthorised interview. As if Liverpool are going to come out and say, like, hey, yeah, Raheem, why don't you go talk to the Beeb over here and tell them all about your contract negotiations? I, I want to clarify something else, and Clive, without giving away too many secrets. All this news that we get when we report that he's turned down this, he's turned down that, he's offered this, that. Somebody's talking, right? We in the media, we don't just sit there and make this up, right? Yeah, there's people people and their people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I'm assuming that either it's Sterling or Siegel or A.D. Ward or people at Liverpool who are revealing details of these supposedly secret negotiations, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's always, in for sight, it's always usually the club that comes out and says, <laughs> we're going to start negotiating, we're going to make him an offer. Well, well you know, why bother telling us that? Just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Right, okay, no, just, just, just wanted to clarify the point. All right, well, I'm going to put on my, my Rogers hat and crouch down low here, uh, Rory, and say, well, what the hell does this guy want? We lost Luis Suarez last year. We've had Gerard star-crossed in and out, blah, 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 last season, contract, mess up. We had Sturridge out half the season, and obviously Sterling is an attacking player. He's got a dialogue with, with, uh, with Sturridge. We had Balotelli, who, who didn't, didn't work out, and it's all his fault because he's horrible. You know, what do you want me to do? We, we brought in a bunch of new guys. We were unlucky here. We are unlucky there. We, we've, we've had disputes. I could make this season all about developing you, Raheem Sterling. Is that a fair point that Rodgers can make to him? But have yeah, faith in me, and next year... Absolutely, I think that's absolutely right, that Sterling probably hasn't... He's, he's had spells where he's been really impressive, but he's maybe not grabbed the season by the scruff of the neck. as it may- How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You would have liked him to do. I think there are mitigating circumstances for that. But the main reason he's been used as a, used as a utility player, I think, is that Liverpool have found themselves with, with various injuries and various absences and what have you at various times, and they've needed somebody to slot in. Now, you could, you could play Adam Lallana as a right wing back. You could play Jordan Henderson as a right wing back, as, um, as, as Rodgers did bafflingly against Arsenal. But ultimately, I'm not sure Sterling, Sterling wants to play as a number 10. Now, I would say that Liverpool's best number 10, and bear in mind that they have a system that allows them to play two number 10s, Liverpool's best number 10 is Philippe Coutinho. The thing that I would say is that he's not necessarily done enough playing in his favoured position to suggest that he should always play in his favoured position. He's not, he's not made himself bulletproof from change. And I've got to admit, the one thing that I, I sympathise with Sterling in a lot of it, I think that, that there is a case that Liverpool are underpaying him. I think they've chanced their arm a little bit. They've been a little bit slow in negotiation. That Rodgers hasn't always helped himself. That there is a question over whether Liverpool are the place for Sterling to, to fulfil his ambitions and to an extent to fulfil his potential. But the one thing that I, I, I do not sympathise with young players on at all is where they play. I think you, you just farm that out to the manager. You accept that the manager ultimately has to make lots of decisions. And he might not make, always make the right decision. But I don't think it's for a 20-year-old kid to say, this is where I want to play. Not unless that 20-year-old 20 20 kid is Lionel, Lionel Messi. And at this stage in his career, Raheem Sterling is not Lionel Messi as he was at, at the same stage of his career. So I think that from that point of view, Sterling doesn't have a leg to stand on. There are other, other elements to it where he, he does have a point. But I've not seen enough from Sterling this season to suggest that, it, that Liverpool should be built around him at all. I have a solution. I don't want to run it by you guys, and you can tell me why it's folly or not. He says it's not about the money. So you go to him and you say, listen, this is what we're going to do. You say it's not about the money. You're woefully underpaid. We're going to offer you, let's say, 110 grand a week. And we're going to offer you a five-year deal. It's not really about the money. It's enough to give you 150. In exchange for that, we're going to put a release clause on you. A release clause that's a lot of money. But if you become the superstar that you will become, you will have the option to walk away. And, you know, let's say a release clause, put it 50 million, 60 million, a bit like they did with Suarez. At that point, you shift the onus back on Sterling. And you gamble on the fact that in a year's time or two years' time, Liverpool can become the kind of team that Sterling wouldn't think about moving away from, even if somebody shows up with, with 50, 60 million. How does that sound? That, that's very clever, Gab, if, if you have faith in the relationship between Rodgers and Sterling. Well, Sterling has, to, has could, to... Let me turn it around. Who's more important to Liverpool, Rodgers or Sterling? Well, it, it, okay, I'll answer that right now. It's Sterling, it's Sterling okay? It? Yeah. So but, if, if it, but if it's not the manager, then you, then you, then you kind of have to... Do you know what I mean? I agree with you. I think it probably is going forward, Sterling is the more valuable asset. But if it's not the manager, then you've got a massive problem. If you, if, if you present it this way, Brendan, Raheem's got this uh, um, release clause. 
it's going to be a lot of money. If he becomes messy, of course, then, you know, and he goes elsewhere, then we're screwed. No, but it, it sounds great, this. Gab. If Sterling has to believe that Rodgers is going to be the manager that makes him become messy. That's in that the challenge. That's Rodgers. And I don't bargain. believe he does. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given that interview. Wow. And it's Jason Punchon, and it's 2-0. Wonderfully flighted set-piece delivery. But goalkeeper Joe Hart started an awfully long way across his goal and simply left himself too much distance to make up. Okay, Palace and City. Um, normally, it would be newsworthy that City continue to fall apart. I think it's um, five defeats in the last seven games in all competitions. Uh, and newsworthy that Crystal Palace and... Alan Pardew win. But we're kind of used to this, aren't we, Alison? Yeah, no, it was interesting in lots of ways, but you're right, because it was it, it felt as if Alan Pardew had to hype up the game. You know, City <laughs> were coming to Sellers Park and there was a sense that, oh, it's probably, it's probably going to be an OK game, we might win it. it there, there was, he had to hype it up and he did in his programme notes. He said, we are welcoming the reigning kings of England and he, he brought majesty to it and he tried to say it was going to be a you know, really tough game, they should be scared of Palace, but wow, look at City, they're fantastic. And even after the game, it was really interesting because Pardew felt the need to big up what a wonderful team City are and let's not forget that the reigning champions because because he, he, he didn't want people to forget that this was a, a scalp because because as you say Gab it didn't really feel that surprising Did City deserve to lose? Well did they have 70% of possession hit the post got loads of shots and whatever I mean Palace were hanging on for a lot of that game and they had the two moments that, that mattered in that in that match I guess yeah, Pardew was asked you had, you had a, they gave you a few scary moments though didn't they and he went yeah I counted at least 23 of them I mean City were unlucky but they, they lacked one thing that Palace had, which was joy. Glenn Murray. Joy. Glenn Murray no, yeah. joy. Thanks, Glenn Murray. Glenn Murray is the embodiment of joy. Glenn Murray used to play for a team in Wilmington, Delaware, I discovered from his Wikipedia get page. I just, I just find this extraordinary. All this talk about, we were just talking about Sterling earlier, 100,000 this and that. Oh, and this Glenn I mean, now he looks like he's a million years old. He's not. He just has a beard. Yeah. Sometimes the group think in the dung heap of gutless conformity is so great that people who can do a job in the top flight are, are just overlooked for years. And I think, I don't know, when I own a football club, I will be far more demanding of my scouts and my coaches and my managers, and I will probably yeah, he hasn't. Murray continuously. hasn't come from nowhere. He was a star when they were well, he was winning, in Wilmington, going, Delaware. going. No, he was I know, a star I know. when they were trying to win promotion, goals, and then course, he had injuries, which stopped him hurt. shining in the Premier League. Yeah, I know, so but why, he became, why he looks like a pub player. But he became a star when he was like 24, 25 years old. It's not like he became a star when he was 19. Right? I mean, he scored, what, like 30-odd goals in the championship? And, like, several seasons after he was playing for pub teams in, in his 20s? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. This whole Perhaps that's that thing about Chris Ramsey was talking about. You know, he's called Glenn Murray. You know, he's, he's now people... The Premier League is still baffled by people with exotic names. Yeah. So if you're called Glenn Murray... It's just time and again you see it. Or, like, there's the centre-back at West Brom, the Macaulay guy, mm. or whatever it was. I think he was at Ipswich or somewhere. Right, and when he was like 22 years old, he was like, he was like, like he was like a window installer or something, and playing non-league somewhere in Ireland with a funny name. I mean, I, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, the footballers are there. If you find them and you coach them up, you find the quality and you motivate them. You do not need to go and pay 30 grand to somebody uh, just because that's what everybody else does. From what you're saying, do we give Alan Pardew credit? I mean, it's an incredible run. People are talking about him being manager of the year. Or is he just lucky? He didn't really want to take too much credit. 
it's the first time I've heard him really say uh, mm. this win was really all about the, the Tony Pulis months. This was not the way I, I planned to play against City. I, I, I'm not happy that we saw so little of the ball. Um, we worked hard, but this was about resilience and character and optimism. And they were the characteristics that Pulis brought in after the Holloway disaster. Um, it, it was a step back, if you like, step back in time to, to, to when Pulis was keeping them up. It was an aberration this game in terms of the Pardew trajectory overall overall Pardew is clearly doing an excellent job and uh, he's he's doing what Warnock couldn't do I mean Warnock inherited the Pulis team and unwilling to embrace what Pulis had done he wanted to stamp his own authority on a club he knows very well uh, Pardew's been far more pragmatic that word again and he said, I, I liked, I like quite a lot of what Pulis did. I'll just take it on a step further and build, uh, which is exactly what you want from a new manager. And in that, and in that sense, uh, he is admirable because he's unafraid to cherry pick what was good about the regime before, um, but try and stamp his own personality on it. And he's done that quite quickly, given he hasn't been there that long. Right. The problem with Pardew is that it's the same thing that happens with Sam Allardyce, which is that they are unquestionably good managers. You know, they're not, they're maybe not. Venus Meekles, but you know they're, they're good managers. They they know what they're doing. They know what they're about. But the problem with both of them is that you don't want to give them any credit because they give themselves so much credit. Without they're, they're always labelled as the, the guys you the Allardyce and um, I think and Tony Pulis, in fact, are the guys you bring in to, well, to, to British managers to you know to keep your side up to impose some sort of uh, uh, organisation stability. They're firefighters, but Pardew kind of isn't that is he I mean, he's not a, a, a winner or anything but at least there's, he hasn't been saddled with that you know who are we going to bring in to keep our side up but perhaps we should look back on his time at Newcastle with slightly different <laughs> air now you know he probably was a better guy than he given credit for alright well then with that in mind let's conclude this by giving Rory the difficult question of naming three English managers he would rather have at his club than Alan Pardew English rather than British. Yes, it's too easy to British. Come on, English. Well, possibly Gary Monk, uh, who I don't think gets nearly enough credit. Okay. The Swansea are eight. Yeah, you don't need to league. justify Gary Monk's fine. Yeah. But beyond that, English better than Pardew. You are struggling. I've got to admit. Certainly, if, if one of the criteria is Paul terrifying. Clement. Paul Clement's never been tried as a manager. You've no but idea. But surely you'd rather have him around than Alan Pardew. Surely, if this is your football club, you'd rather walk in every day and see Paul Clement's face than Alan Pardew's face, right? Yeah, probably. And then Paul Tisdale is my third one. There you go. Right. In our debate this week, I've asked everybody to run through scenarios. They've, they've looked at run-ins and stuff. Sunderland 29, Hull and Villa and uh, 28, Burnley 26, QPR 25, Leicester 22, but with the game in hand, albeit a game in hand, against Chelsea. Ha ha. Uh, although they do have five home games, bizarrely. So I just kind of want to get your input. We'll go back to this toward, at the end of the season and laugh at people's silly predictions about who's going now. Now, you've all crunched the numbers, um, and I'm going to start with you, Alison, since you are the best prepared. Who is going down? <laughs> it's because I've put a pair of glasses on and I look clever. <laughs> you do, yeah, yeah, I know. Clive has no glasses I to put on. I look all statistical. <laughs> um, right, well, uh, I'm going to go for... Um, well, there are obvious answers. Let's go for something more interesting. I'm really worried about Villa. Well, I'm not worried because I don't care, but... Um, <laughs> I'm worried about Villa because... because because Tim Sherwood, I, I just... I, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. If I was in the changing room and preparing for a, a crunch game, I, I just... I can't imagine what he says beyond something passionate. 
to really make it work. He was talking about um, Chris Ramsey, who he knows really well, and we're, we're talking on Tuesday and they're playing QPR Tuesday night. And he says, Chris Ramsey, a fantastic bloke, he writes, he's so good at uh, coaching that he writes the FA manual on coaching. And then in the next breath, he says, Ramsey is not a textbook manager. There's, there's something suspect about... It's, it, it just seems a bit random. He seems to have gone in there I, full of passion, full of passion. I asked teams are going down, and it turns into a cru- the crucifixion of Tim Sherwood. I think it matters who you've got in charge for the run-in. Who are your, who are your other two teams to go down? Uh, well, Q- QPRs, no, I don't know. Their run-in's hard, and Leicester look lost. I think Burnley might just swing it. So Villa... Villa, QPR, and, and Leicester. Leicester, Leicester yeah. despite the eight home, the five home games. Clive, I'm not going to. I'm going to leave Tim Sherwood alone. Uh, I Thank think you. Leicester do have five home games, and that could be quite important. To yeah, them, and, and that's not just that. But look, it's uh, sorry. It, it's, it's you got Swansea and Newcastle. You know, two teams that potentially could be on the beach by that point. Southampton oh, wow. as well at some point. They're going to fall away. You QPR some is a head to head away from home. You got West Brom. Yeah. Meh. But you know, right, if you they, if you they, draw your head to heads against Burnley, Sunderland, right, they have five home games. That's fine, but they're what six points from safety. And I think it's making up that six points and still allowing for other teams to not but make that. Swansea and Newcastle. Much... There's your six points. No, well, Swansea's the next game. Swansea has suddenly switched off from beating Hull the week before, so they're now thinking, "Well, hey, let's get let's hit the beach." It's, it's the next home game. Or I, 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 I just think there's going to be a sense of. Basically, we've been there. We've arrived after Rory Smith said that he wants Gary Monk to manage his team. Yeah, I, I think it'll just give. I agree. Just give, <laughs> so sorry, so, so, sorry, Clive. So you, your three are the five. Home, it might be close, and they'll be galvanised. And and the the, the the good thing about Leicester is that they, they, they somehow managed to get themselves bottom without ever getting pulverised this season. They are actually playing quite well, so yes. they might achieve it. But I still think that six points is too much to okay, make. Okay, so to Leicester and QPR. Uh, basket case of a club so and I, I really want Chris Ramsey to, to, to pull it up but I, I can't see it I think Burnley will do it because they too are very well organised and they, they're run right. by the marvellous uh, gravel voice Sean Dyche and, but more to the point Hull's running is horrendous but they play better against the big teams Rory yeah I, I, well I'm, this isn't very interesting I agree with Clive I think, I think Leicester do have five home games I think they would probably need to win at least four of them. Oh, come on. And, and one more game to stay up. Because I think, I think 35 will keep you up, basically. So I think you have to ask the question... No, but sorry, they have 22 points. I, I, know, I, I know you're more artsy than math-oriented, but if they win five games, then they have 37 points. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. All right, so you, you need, 35 you need to win keep you up. They only need to win, they win four, four and draw one. And draw one, yeah. Which is still a big ask for a team that hasn't has, what, won five games all season. That's that's still a big ask to win four home games, and I agree with you that the running's not unkind. But I, I think they I think they will go close, but they won't quite do it. I think QPR will go, uh, and I agree with Clive. I think Hull's running, although they do they do lift their dominance against the big teams. I don't think that'll be enough unless they get the big teams, and it, it'll depend on the timing in the in an order in which the big teams have nothing left to play for. That's yeah. the only thing. So, for example, for example, they play Liverpool relatively soon. I think within two weeks that's probably not ideal time to play Liverpool because Liverpool still have something to go for. By the end of the season, when Liverpool are six points adrift of fourth and have nothing to play for, they might be okay against Liverpool. But, yeah, I think Hull's running will do for them. There seems to be a mounting awareness at Hull that perhaps they might have left it a bit too late. Uh, I think Burnley will do it because I think Burnley aren't a bad team. 
Leicester will go close, as I say, but I think they'll go down as well. I think they have left it too late as well. Right, time now for some quick hits. Manchester United pound Aston Villa 3-1 and are now ahead of the noisy neighbours. Ander Herrera nets two and some are suggesting he's the best all-around midfielder in the league. Clive, are you on board with that? And if so, why couldn't he get a game not that long ago? Uh, all-around midfielder? I mean, it's certainly benefiting um, and helping United's uh, turnaround in form at the moment as, as he's finally in the game. He's only played about, I don't know, 16, 17 games this season. I assume he suffered from... Uh, Van Gaal switches from 4-3-3 to 4-1-4-1 where it's then trying to accommodate Rooney in midfield for some bizarre reason but he's certainly benefiting now with his mate Matter in the team he's scored two at the weekend so he's scored about five or six goals now so yeah he's doing well but best all-round midfielder is he ahead of the likes of Hazard Cazorla in performance of the season well I no. think they mean more like sort of box to box and stuff nobody's suggesting he's better than Hazard I would hope well then no yeah. he's, had, he's, 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 he's had a good season he's had a good first season and he deserved a bit more plaudits I think Van Gaal hasn't treated him that brilliant Vamos Ander the Ashley Out Brigade is back at Newcastle following the Derby Day defeat Rory anything new or original to say on this any novel insight it's okay if we just say no. Uh, not really, no. Uh, okay, it's, it's just Newcastle being Newcastle, isn't it? There is a, a sort of sense of ennui and pointlessness and futility to their entire existence. The one thing I would say, and I think, Gab, it was actually your suggestion to me, and it came to me before the, the Weird Time derby. Both of those teams are fighting for the right to do nothing. You know, what, what, what are they starting the season hoping to achieve? A mid-table mediocrity maybe a run for Europe. They're in a rat race that they cannot win. They cannot thrive in it. So why not change the boundaries? Why not say something along the lines of we're going to play to a philosophy that we're not going to deviate from or even that we're going to try and become a sort of English athletic Bilbao and only use local players? There, there's no point, Newcastle and Sunderland, trying to be involved in this kind of race to win the Premier League or get in the Champions League. It's not going to happen. You have to change your kind of parameters of what you define as success. That's, that's what needs to happen in the North East for both them and Sunderland. Chelsea get the three points against Stoke, but they again need to huff and puff. And what's more, Diego Costa pulls a hamstring. Alison, I believe you were there, and I was struck by the fact that Mourinho insisted that this is purely bad luck. He went out of his way to say, no, 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 it's not the medical team's fault at all. He's perfectly fit. But I don't get if, if he was fit and there was no concerns whatsoever. Why wasn't he starting? Well, that's because not only was I at the bridge, I was at the press conference that preceded the match, at which Mourinho explained that the medical team had done a fantastic job and Costa himself had worked very hard in the international break to get his hamstring back in full working order. But Mourinho was slightly concerned that Costa might not believe in his hamstring that he needed that self-confidence to go full pelt if necessary in, and, and believe that his body would hold out. So that's why he was on the bench, because he just felt maybe if he could get away with giving him a bit longer to trust his body, he would do so. So it was kind of psychosomatic. It was. Right. And then when Charlie Adams scores from a million miles out just before halftime, you're like, uh-oh, better go get Diego Costa on because those 11 dudes I have on the pitch aren't capable of putting a couple goals past. Yeah, and it did. It, it was, it right. was characteristically right. panicky, wasn't it? Yeah, Unmarine-like. Spurs are held at Burnley in one of the most horrendous games of the season, or indeed in living memory. Clive, is this it? Another season of Thursday night, Channel 5? For, for your boys? It's not even on Channel 5 anymore. Thursday um, night, yeah, it's on Thursday BT night, Sport, Sport, maybe, ITV4. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, that, is, that, is that it? Yeah? Yeah, Done? but, you know, it's, 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 it was all right. From the start of the season, well, I thought that's kind of what's going would have happened anyway uh, after the um, Charles and Tribulations of last season. 
Yeah, we've got the player of the season. I'm not going to diss Tottenham season. Uh, it's been better than I expected it would be. We'll have Europe next. Actually, it'd be better if they contrived to finish eighth. I wouldn't mind not giving the replay. That might actually give us a bit of a season's breather to actually build something towards getting a fourth place finish. You have the seventh highest wage bill in the Premier League. So as long as, so you, as, finish long as you finish seventh or above, yeah, exactly. it's a success. Yeah. You're profitable. And uh, that guy who was giving you a hard time over the stadium, didn't his... Didn't, 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 they're like, no, we own him now. Business burned down. <laughs> no, we own him now. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So you're yeah. all set. Rory, you're the connoisseur here. Best goal of the weekend, Germain Defoe or Charlie Adam. Or perhaps you go all four on us and say Alexis Sanchez or something like that. Nope. Bobby Zamora. Bobby Zamora. Bobby, Bobby Zamora, Zamora with, his, with, his fo- with his foreign name. Uh, I think that is... Charlie Adams was brilliant and the vision of it was brilliant, but it was ultimately just punting a ball 60 yards. Did you hear... Uh, uh, did you see... Was it last night, Carragher said, <laughs> showing the times at Liverpool, Charlie Adams has been trying to do this for God knows how long and failing miserably <laughs> every time. It was really quite funny. And then showing all the Liverpool players every time he did it, sort of going... You know, sort of, you know <laughs> there were like four or five examples. It was really brilliant. No, no love for Defoe? I thought that would have been more up your alley. Yeah, Defoe was brilliant, Rooney was brilliant, they were all great goals, Sanchez's was excellent. But no, I just think Zamora's, so the, the impudence, the, the, the kind of, um, what's the word, the, like the, the invention of that goal was superb. Right. And also, he couldn't do that again if he tried, and that's the best sort of goal. Roy can't help himself, he has to pick the guy who's half Spanish, right? Like, he just cannot <laughs> help himself. Everton, Ed Southampton, Alison, I know it pains you, but a bit for like Spurs, this is it. Champions League dream over. They won't be making up eight points in the final seven games. That's even beyond Ronald Koeman's supernatural powers. Well, I haven't quite given up on them, but I, I, this will be the sadness of the season for me, I think, is that Southampton, even when they lose, and they've only been losing narrowly, they still played incredibly well and um, been the better team aesthetically. And it's simply that they just quite haven't quite got the um, resources in the striker department to, to, to make that top four. OK, Gab, I have a question for you. The Turkish League is suspended, I think. Somebody fired a gun at the Fenerbahce team bus. What the heck's happening? Well, what happened was uh, Fenerbahce played away from home against Rizespor. Uh, they won 5-1 and on their way back to the airport. Uh, somebody supposedly associated with, uh, with, with Trabzonspor fan groups, although that's TBD, uh, decided to fire a gun at the team bus, as you do, and uh, it's not funny. Uh, it broke the, the windshield, it injured the driver, and he's, I mean, he's not seriously hurt, but obviously it could have been much, much worse. There's a tremendous amount of bad blood in Turkish football now for some time. It links back to the match-fixing scandal a few years ago. This is just a criminal action. That's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes and Player FM for Android, please do so now. Many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd, Clive Petty, and Rory Smith taking time out from his busy schedule uh, back on the family grounds in Yorkshire to join us. Check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. Members, you get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. If you're not a member yet, do not despair. You can take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Timesport online. Uh, See you next week. Same place, same time. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. 